Mormon Discussion Podcast is about helping Latter-day Saints like you lead with faith while tackling deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping the podcast alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber at mormondiscussionpodcast.org. Again, that's Mormon Discussion Podcast, all one word, dot org. You can do this for as little as $3 a month or $25 a year. And this will also reward you by letting you listen to premium episodes like this one months before the general public has access. Thanks for listening. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Real. Grateful for the chance to be with you today. Really excited about today. Um, I've got a really um, cool woman uh, in my life who's a really good friend of mine, and she's just a wise soul. And so the the other day, I get a uh, phone call from uh, her and her husband, and then we engage in some text messages back and forth over this idea that she comes across in the scriptures. And I I hope today that I can do it justice. I hope today that there is a feeling on your part as the listener that you're that you're hearing some new idea some new concept because when the two of them relayed this idea to me like it felt groundbreaking it felt like something deep and rich that we haven't as a church or as a people hit on before in mormonism so to capture the idea i need to run through five or six scriptures and paint a picture of jesus in the New Testament. And so if you want to follow along, we'll be mostly in the Gospels. In fact, I think essentially all in the Gospels because we're dealing with the mortal life of Jesus. And we have to set this up. So let's start with John chapter six, towards the end of the chapter, starting maybe in about verse 50 or so. In fact, let's start with verse 47. And verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. So stopping there, Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is this tangible thing that feeds us. Continuing on, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give thee is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in him, and I in him. And so we know, we know like the connection here, that John again is one of the late gospels, very much created after or during the creation of the early Christian church. By this time, the sacrament has become an ordinance. And so if we can pretend for just a moment that these words actually fell from the lips of Jesus, can we see how important 
Jesus is speaking of his body and his blood, the bread of life, that he who eateth of his flesh and drinketh of his blood shall live forever. Like, first off, let's start and say, like, how sacred is Christ saying that his body is, and that eternal life is found in partaking of it? Moving on, Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 7. There came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment, and poured it on his head, the Savior's head, on his head, as he sat at meat. But when the disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. In other words, guys, why are you trying to stop her? She has done something really great today. Then Jesus continues, For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she poured this ointment on my body. She did it for my burial. Verily, I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for memorial of her. Think about that. This is one of the very few, if not only, instance where the Savior of the world tells his disciples that this particular event you should tell whenever you are talking and preaching the gospel. And yet somehow women have been somewhat distanced from the stories of the Savior. Sure, there are some. But think about it in your head. How often have we told this story? And yet the Savior says, wherever you are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in the world, this story should be told for a memorial of her who hath anointed my body. And and again, let's pay attention here to the role of women. And I shouldn't even say it that way. We should pay attention to the acts of the women in the Savior's life and what the commonality is in these scriptures. Turning to Mark chapter 14, verse 2, But they said, Not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people, and being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she brake the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than three hundred pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. We often, I think when we tell this story, we point to Judas. But notice both in the last telling of the story and in this one, the murmuring comes from more than one. It is the disciples. It is the men among Jesus' followers who try to put an end to the woman anointing Christ's body. These disciples have authority. These disciples, many of them are the apostles of Jesus Christ. And yet these men in the New Testament strive to put an end to the women anointing Christ's body. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work upon For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good, but me ye have not always. She hath done what she could, 
She is come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. How often do we tell this story? How often do we honor the Savior's wishes in speaking about this beautiful act of this beautiful woman who hath anointed the body of Jesus? Luke chapter 7, For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and ye say he hath a devil, starting in verse 33. The Son of Man is come, eating and drinking, and ye say, Behold, a gluttonous man, and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of all her children. And one of the Pharisees desired him, that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisees which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. The one owed five hundred pence, the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And then he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head, with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said unto the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Now this seems almost like perhaps the same story as told in the last two gospel accounts that I read. And yet there's also significant differences here as well in terms of who is speaking up and what is going on. Simply should we at least make the connection that regardless whether the same story or different, the importance that this story holds being in each gospel. Turning to John chapter 11. And now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So again, a mention of this story and connecting this woman with Lazarus as siblings. Let us now turn to Mark chapter 16. 
The Savior of the world has been crucified. He has been scourged and punished and nailed to the cross. He's had his side pierced. He has died. He has been taken off the cross and laid in the tomb. Verse 1. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulchre at the rising of the sun. And it's at this point that they realize the stone has been moved away, that Jesus is not there, and then becomes the process of all of Jesus' followers, including these women, connecting the dots that he is risen. But what is of note is that these women, on the first day of the week, came with their sweet spices to anoint the body of Jesus. In Luke chapter 23, the same story is told again, slightly differently, starting in verse 53, referring to the body of Christ. And he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in the sepulchre that was hone in stone, wherein never man before was laid. And that day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew on. And the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after, and beheld the sepulchre, and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointment, and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. So let's talk about this for just a moment, and let's connect some dots. At every twist and turn through the New Testament, Jesus in his mortality, who of the two genders, male and female, does Jesus have interacting with in a way that they are anointing and touching his body? It is the women. It is the women among his followers who seem to have these intimate acts of love and concern and appreciation Whereas the men tend to be less affectionate, less hands-on with the body of the Savior. Fast forward to today. Today in our church, do men among the disciples encourage, if not impose, that women keep their distance from anointing and from the body of Christ? The Aaronic priesthood blesses the sacrament. The Aaronic priesthood takes the body of Christ and breaks it and blesses it and passes it. Women in early church history were given a key of the priesthood and were encouraged by the prophet Joseph Smith to bless and anoint, to lay on hands for healing and for blessing. In the New Testament, it is the women followers of Jesus who put oil on his body, who touch his feet, who go to great lengths to care for and have concern over his body. Jesus doesn't stop them. Jesus blesses them, forgives them, tells them to tell this story in memorial of him. And yet the disciples suggest they keep their distance. Is there something we can learn from this? Should women play a greater role in the church? Should women be permitted to bless and anoint and heal? Should women be permitted to interact with the flesh and blood of Jesus in a way that resembles 
the way in which women interacted with his body, his flesh and blood, in mortality. This day, we have told this story in memorial of her who anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them her hair and washed them with her tears. May we never forget the sacred role that women played in the life of the Savior in his mortality. And may we conclude asking, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus set up the roles and responsibilities of women? Should women be able to bless? Should women be able to anoint another for the purpose of healing? Should women have some level of involvement, if not perhaps even possibly primary involvement with the handling of the flesh and blood of the Savior? These, my friends, are simply questions to be honored. May the Lord warm your shoulders. In the sacred name of Jesus Christ, amen. Taking out my issues never here